Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's Ryan Sarrett and they run Honey & Co. Honey & Co, they've been going for a few years now. They've got a couple. I think they've got three different restaurants. They've got like a bakery, then they've got two other restaurants and the food is just so wonderful. They've got this absolute fulsome, homely energy when they cook. I read a review of their book, Fire & Smoke, and I thought, oh yeah. And I just loved the way Itamar spoke about food. And then I tasted their food um, at the restaurant a few months later and I was like, oh, this is all so inextricably linked. Like who they are yeah. is hugely in their food they are israeli um so their food is like levantine so it's really interesting mixture of that whole strip of the world you know kind of bulgur and beautifully slow cooked meats and beautiful dressings and a lot of barbecuing actually yeah. and we're very excited that their guest is polly russell um who's a an incredible food historian and what a job what a job but definitely just has an encyclopedic knowledge of the history and the journey of ingredients. I think it's a really good way to talk about history. It's a really good way to talk about history. It's a really good way in because what mm. people eat, when they ate it, why they ate it, how they ate it, absolutely tells you a massive, massive story. And Polly's from the British Library. She's one of the head curators at the British Library. So she's a really interesting woman. She runs the British Library food season. So it's really lovely that they've brought her do you feel like you cook differently when you're cooking for chefs? <laughs> I think I might make more things because I just want... I mean, for me, it's not really about trying to impress people because if you try to impress people, inevitably, you, you it's shit. So the place. thing to do is just to make... to try to do things that you know are really delicious and then it, inevitably that will make people happy. It's not about impressing people, it's about making them happy, yeah. which is I'm much more interested in. Oh, yeah, she's a big people pleaser through her food. <laughs> <laughs> there might be two more dishes extra on the table because I want them to feel like, yeah... security to get us out of here. I've got Tupperware. We're moving tupperware. in. I've got Tupperware. What are you talking this about, Tupperware? Because this is the, the level of service. <laughs> You're never going to get rid of us. Who we're talking to? Yes, <laughs> we're talking to Itamar and Sarit, 
who are my lovely friends from Honey & Co. And they brought with them. Who have you brought with you? We brought our beautiful latest addition to the Friendship Circle, which is Polly Russell. The latest and the best, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it's your favourite. Yeah. Am I the last friend you well, how Like, meaningfully, yes. Oh, oh that's nice. Yeah. This is one that's become a part of our lives, yes? Yeah, oh. for sure. You're at the British Library, Polly, so your job, what is your actual title? Yes. She's a naughty librarian. <laughs> She's a naughty librarian. <laughs> wow. I'm the head of the Eccles Centre for American Studies at the British Library. Which is a much wow. more impressive title. And, and <laughs> is it though? Is it though? And I run a food season at the British Library with a team of people. Which I've been in! Yay! Yay! And they've been in. And we've been then in. We've and it's very in. interesting and fascinating. It's been, and you've it's been brilliant. in to see our collection, some of Caribbean uh, yes. collections, My Makita. goodness. Yeah, that, that was, was We should actually, let's serve ourselves while we Let's serve ourselves while we talk heavy. about this stuff. So we've got some rum and ginger braised ribs. We've got some two different types of poached beetroot with pickled berries. It's like blackberries and blueberries. Um, there's a mustardy one and then a sort of smoky one. And then we've got some barbecued aubergines with green seasoning, pickled shallots and crispy shallots. We've got a turmeric mayonnaise and a, a white potato plantain pakora and some Johnny cakes. Yeah. Yay. Wow. I'm excited. When, when did you first get here? Well, I came first time 2000 was the first time right. I came here, but I came alone first time around. Uh, and you do obviously work quite intensely together. That's yeah. such a... I mean, we talk about the fact that my mum doesn't really love, like, the closest people to her are the people that I think she finds most annoying in her kitchen. Does that make sense? Do you mean yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> me and my dad. Sadly referencing. Me and, my, me and my father. But as a couple, they're not harmonious in a kitchen together. We're not harmonious in anything. We do. But the, the nice tension of it, it's true. The nice tension of it is what creates what we do as well. Right. So we can't, we try never to work in a kitchen together anymore. Not in the same one. Not unless we absolutely have to. What comes up between you when you're in a kitchen cooking together? First of all, we want to boss each other around because that's right. like, because our definition, because we, we are the boss, then we boss yeah. everyone that we work with because that's just what we do. And then we do it to each other. But we don't need to because we each know what we're doing and no one needs to tell the other one what to do. But we're just so used to that's. That's just the way we speak. But also, we're, we're so... <laughs> boss in a boss yeah. <laughs> But like, we're so like different from each other. Like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you yesterday... Oh, the, you laughed at oh My God, that was so funny. It was the most sorry thing I've ever seen done. She was trimming okra. And when she was laying the okra on a tray, like in little piles, and she was grading them according to size. Oh, nice. Very soothing. 50 by 30 tray of okra laid like soldiers and piled and but the difference in size between this one and this one was like a centimeter no but we had five grades that's so meticulous i love it's not that. true there were some really long ones and some short ones and they were cooked differently itama would never do that so this is where the kind would, of, what would you do would you just be topping and selling them chuck them on a pile yeah <laughs> yeah that is like wouldn't wouldn't. I was gonna say you probably wouldn't even top and tail them. You just like okay. shop them in. Yeah. yeah, I'm into Time that. I'm eat. into like really because that's how Makita organizes her clothes. Yeah, 
Well, I think what I've learned getting older actually is that I think the way your mind works is directly kind of linked to the things that you that are that you've loved forever. And I just I've always liked kind of because this lady has not always been that organized. I've always had a very what she is now. <laughs> but not she's twenty when oh, she had me. It's a day. It's chaos. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I mean, but, it's not, it's true, but, but how dare you? <laughs> if you didn't have such a funky, reckless, rebellious spirit, you wouldn't be such a brilliant chef. Well, you know there what I'm saying? you go. There you go. And if Very I wasn't worthy. so anal, my wardrobe wouldn't be so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> God, I don't know. It sometimes makes me a bit panicky how but what are organized the things she is. That, what are the things that you are organizing? Because everyone has in the like kitchen. the things that, yeah. yeah. So, so in the kitchen, I'm really organized yeah. in the kitchen because I can't bear not being. Yeah. I can't, yeah. you know, work in a kind of complete. No, you know, so this chaos. is the thing: is people have it in different places yeah. in their life. Yes, because you need it somewhere. Because you can't have everything mm. being absolute chaos. One of the things that makes me happiest is like in the in a restaurant with, with mise en place when everything is just ready, yeah. oh. just before service. So beautiful, and everything is put all the garnishes and it all looks little pretty. trays, the calmness, mm. and everything's ready, and it's ready to go, and it's about to kick in. Yeah. I'm, oh. I only learned, and my mother's the chef, what mise en place is. Last year when I was doing Bake Off, and my mum went, you've got to get your mise en place sorted. And I was like, what, what is, is that? that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's that thing you guys all shout at each other and say you're going to do. But what is it? And I actually thought it was a really interesting thing. One chef, if you'd like to explain what it is. Mise en place, it's, all, it's everything in place before service, ready to go. Yes. So all your prep, all your garnishes, all your, everything you're going to need, almost in the order you're going to need it. Yes. It's, on the pass, so that yeah. when the plates come up, you're ready to finish the plates and get it onto it's the like pass the, and send it out. Yeah, it's like setting up the production line. Yes, yes. it's yes. the production line. It's yeah. the production line. So when you yeah. got here, though, 20 odd years, right? Yeah. What were you greeted with in terms of the industry? What were restaurants? What was happening then, really? It, it was very chainy, like yeah. a lot of big chains. So I, when I came back, first it was con- working for Conrad Group. That was the big kind of... Thing. Everyone was working for the Conrad Group. All the restaurants were like the Conrad, very fine kind of dining, this like modern European. And then Jay Shiki's, which is also kind of like a right. restaurant group and very kind of European leaning. Like what we oh, struggled yeah. with mostly was finding the yeah, food yeah, we you. would eat. And yeah. it was very fine dining y, but fine dining that was not even, not what we're talking today about Michelin, like kind of fake fine dining? I mean, as I remember that kind of time, it was a bit like that kind of dead hotel energy. Yeah. Kind of, yes. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? That That's weird chicken where I don't understand what they've done to it. Yeah, How yeah. did they make it have that weird texture? You wouldn't have independent restaurant. You needed a chunk of money if you wanted to open a restaurant. Right. No, not just that. We were jobbing chefs at the time. We couldn't afford to go out that much. Jobbing chefs back 20 years ago, what, we earned like £1,000 a month right. or something like that, and we worked most of the time. So like, was, we didn't really go out. That middle <laughs> area, that, that kind of, ca- well, they call it casual dining, which I always find a little bit odd because it's not fancy fancy, yeah. but it's still going out for dinner. Do you know what I mean? And that didn't exist in the didn't way that it yeah. exists no. now at all. No. 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 You know, you would do like the takeaway places or the like Indian, the Chinese kind of thing. So how did you, how did you kick your, your stuff off then? What did you do? I it doesn't sound like the easiest climate to start something in. Well, we, we did, when we opened Honey & Co, we came back from Australia and they had the most amazing scene and you would mm-hmm. go to these like really young, vibrant places. And independent. We, yeah, independent. And we thought maybe, you know, people want that sort of non-corporate thing. 
And it was kind of like the tail end of the financial crisis in 2010, 11, 12. And you, you could still kind of like wrangle through. And our place was tiny. Do you remember the first the first Hanyin Co was kind of like the size of this table? Oh, in Warren Street, yeah. yeah. We didn't even have like a proper business plan or anything. We could afford the rent. And, it, and it had a working kitchen. Ish. And that was it. And we just said, we're just going to go in and we just start cooking. And we honestly didn't have like... Because what we were looking for, which was like to do like a proper like fire kebab place with lots of things, we couldn't afford. We nobody was talking to us. We were just two chefs out of like kind of working for other people, so we didn't have any kind of name, and it was quite mm. hard to like get any of the proper properties we were looking at. We couldn't afford them either. And then we just said we're just going to cook, and that's literally what happened. The first meal was one of our kind of most standard meals ever like sinia and uh, which is like a lamb with a tahini crust thing which we would have for dinner loads of times and a salad we would put like three dishes on the menu and two salads yeah and then the next day we'd cook a different three dishes and a different two salads and then slowly it kind of but people and then we couldn't work it till so all the starters were four pounds <laughs> and all the mains were eight pounds True, we remember have- we couldn't, we, we couldn't, we like, we couldn't, like, it. we didn't want to know that we couldn't... We didn't know how to so do it. So we just it. said, okay, we'll just do everything at four pounds. <laughs> and all the mains are eight pounds. Yeah, that's good margins. <laughs> so funny. Mm-hmm. And what did, what were people like, did people respond quickly to it, like, well, quickly, or did it so take quite a long time? No, it was so fast. Wow. And we didn't expect it at all. Because, because we were so, like, naive and didn't know anything, we didn't even do any, like, Definitely, we didn't do any market research on where the location was. We knew nothing. We went to Warren Street Tube. We said, oh, there's a lot of people coming out of this station (laughs) in rush hour. (laughs) They must must need to eat something. That was our market research. Polly, you've got to pick it up with your hands. Go for it. You've got to use your hands. Go pick it up. Come on, Polly. Come on. I know you're in a white silk Yeah, she's trying to, like, protect them. That is what's scaring me. That is (laughs) It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com I was just wanting to actually talk about this incredible opportunity that Polly gave my mother and I to go to the British Library and see the collection of things from Antigua. Um, and 
it's just throughout the years, it's just so... Honestly, I really didn't get to thank you for that. It was really beautiful. and You definitely thanked us. Okay. Um, just to explain, so Polly and her team invited Makita and I to the British Library to be part of the Caribbean collection, but it was from Antigua, which is where our family are from. And on it, we could see where the Oliver Plantation was, which is wow. actually at yeah. the end of the street that uh, the princes, our family, grew up on. And it's where my dad, who was the Oliver name, that's where he grew up in Point. So he would have been growing up like or on his old plantation. Oh, yeah, basically. Even, maybe even knowing. So, so much of that stuff lives in your head. You know, you're diaspora, you come from diaspora yeah. peoples, you know, we've all been through all kinds of shit, do you know what I mean, historically. And it's so much of it is kind of theory, you know. So when you see the actual evidence, the, the evidence kind of that this is where it happened, it really makes your blood stop moving around your body or something. For me, it was an opening up um, because we've been back to the Caribbean quite a few times. We've been very lucky. We've been, we've been going quite often, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah. And, um, and I've been doing a lot more looking into just like how agriculturally um, the Caribbean was changed by enslavement and um, colonization. I didn't really think about things like that. I just thought about just the pain of people, but actually how land was changed. And I just thought, oh, Polly must know so much about all that. Well, I, I know a tiny bit, but definitely like Nicole Rochelle Moore, who you oh, met. Oh, God, yeah, like, she was amazing. Oh, she's she's the Caribbean curator. She's yeah. just incredible woman. Well, you saw her talking the other day. Yeah. But just and talking about colleagues. the history, the history of, through just, food. And, yeah, through mm. food and just how those collections map those unbelievable and devastating changes, you know, whether it's on maps, whether it's on manuscripts, whether it's on newspapers, that we've got these collections that tell these stories and, and make real the mm -hmm. histories that, yeah. you know, generations live with. The but I, I want to so, say to you, it means so much that you, you're opening up in the ways that you are and the conversations that are happening at the British Library mm -hmm. and the things that I've been part of really mean a lot to me, Polly, and I'm really grateful to you for it, honestly. It's, it's special and it's really important and it, feels, it makes you feel seen and it makes you feel heard and it makes you feel like people give a shit. And that, those three things are... But the, the library is doing so much in trying yeah. to, to address things that have gone wrong. Well, Polly is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Michael, actually, your like, team. I mean, really, like, you're making me kind of go goosey because this is sort of why we all get up in the morning is yeah. that there are these amazing collections mm. that tell these stories but that belong to all of us they yeah. belong to you you know they are your stories they're our stories and that is what we get up to do it's so exciting to be able to make those connections and get new people in different people in to understand them and to feel like they belong to those collections those collections belong to them so that is like and it is i mean i i'm one cog in a massive wheel and there are amazing people there with that energy and you've met lots of them yeah. who want to do that and so for you to say that like I, I think I might have to just like put that on a recording and play it very yeah, loud. Yeah. The whole <laughs> you'll see people curating the British Library cheering from St Pancras. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did it. But can we I did it. can I say that that Polly is is um, very characteristically being very humble, but she is such a driving force for good that that honestly in her life and in her work that is just amazing. You know, she's 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 like the good Karen. <laughs> the good Karen. <laughs> yeah. 
She's like, what is, what is uh, Millie okay, Cyrus? So my 18-year-old daughter, who obviously very begrudgingly would ever say anything nice to me because she's 18, no. she's like, oh, Mum, the thing about you is you're always like sort of carrying the fuck out of shit for good. She's <laughs> <laughs> sort of good. You kind of are sharp elbowed, but you are sort of good, but still annoying. Absolutely amazing. Carrying the, the fuck out of shit for good. good. It's so, like, that's, I like, you know what? That, okay, I, think, I guess that's okay. Polly, I, honestly, I think that's her saying I love you. Like, it's like yeah. I, I love you and I see you. Do you guys know how to relax and rest? I don't know many oh. chefs that are that one. Yeah, do you it. stop? Sarah, do you stop? We do. Like, I mean, we love a good holiday. Yeah. And we love yeah, how often do you have them? It depends, and it depends what's happening. If you talk to us, like, this month, we're just after a streak of, like, kind of, we, we feel, like, a bit guilty because we've just kind of... Been away. Been away quite a bit. We went to Amsterdam to see the Vermeer exhibition, and then we went to Italy to one of our friends who used to be our pastry chef's wedding, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. How does a chef know when to step out of the kitchen? When their number two says to them... When you can. You're, like Julia says to us, she's our head chef, exec chef, she says to us, you're sabotaging your own business. Yeah. Please step Please away from the kitchen well. now. Really? So when your number two says that to you, you know, okay. Is she quite strict with you? No. With everyone. <laughs> Is she? Yeah. Julia is amazing. But uh, she but knows to say to us... Because, you know, the problem is, Itamar and I, when we started cooking, we would come into the kitchen and we would just cook. You know, throw this in a pot, throw that in a pot, da 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 da, da. Mm. So then we started writing recipes and they actually followed them, which meant the food that was going out every day was the same food. So now we come into the kitchen and we're just like, oh, let's put a bit of that. Oh, we can change it. And, and she's like, like, stop. Please don't. Right, please please don't. don't do that. Don't just add something else to the food. Yeah. We have a recipe for a reason. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's costed and it works and it's delicious. <laughs> we're in a step away from like my it. kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> my kitchen. Yeah. But so was, uh, this is interesting to me. For me, the, big, the most difficult part of any of it, mm-hmm. all of it, writing, anything, restaurants, has been the, like, the quantifying... With the tiny yes, so five grams of tiny. cinnamon. Yes. So this is something that we had to learn because we had to teach these guys yeah. how to cook. And because we couldn't continue, because at the beginning we used to work like 16 hours every day, all the time. And it's impossible to continue that forever. And then you're holding it all in your head. Yes. And it's all and there. someone and goes, how do you make the so-and-so? Yeah. And you have to go and show them every time. Yes. So we had to learn different. to write recipes and we had mm. to learn to write recipes that actually work, work to produce the food we want to do. So it was a necessity of the thing. I never thought about writing a cookbook until we started writing down all the recipes. Recipes of honey Actually, and coal. I, still, I don't believe in recipes. Really? Oh. We, we very rarely use someone else's recipe. Really? Unless yeah. we're doing an event with them and we're cooking their food. Yeah, because I think mum making, uh, writing her book just now, you've yes, never worked in such a thing. recipe way in your life. Because I said, oh, I've never tried to cook one of your recipes. And you said, because you wouldn't have ever, I never wrote anything down Damn, like that. not really. That's the hardest. So the writing bit, the text, the prose, all of that, mm. fine. Mm. Just, you know, I can chat for England and I yeah. like to chat and that's just me chatting. Well, you're, but actually, you're a storyteller. Yeah, and that bit of trying to, like, make, you know, consistently make it exactly the same way every single time. There's this brilliant restaurant that I love in, um, in Marrakesh called Al Fasia. Yeah, and it's yeah, the yeah. one with the all women. the women. The women, yeah. yeah. Have you been there? Yeah. Oh, Amazing. Is that, what is it? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, it's, women cooks. It's just... the food from Fez, which is in the north of Morocco. And it's run by these two sisters. Very unusual in Morocco. But I went into the kitchens there and they don't have anything written down. Mm. 
Whoa. at all. And there's like 15 people, 15 women in this kitchen, and they just all know exactly how to make every wow. single one of these dishes. It's not even in her mind, it's in her soul, you know what I mean? She could do it asleep, probably. Yeah, and they just don't write any of it down. We went with our team to yes. Israel. We went to cook with an Arab family in uh, one of the villages near my parents. So they still live in the traditional way where it's a three-story house, so the grandparents live on the ground floor. The parent, the, their first-generation children live on the first floor, and their children live on the top floor. And the grandmother downstairs cooks for everyone. And as they die, they go down. They go down, it's <laughs> they true. Do. And yeah. if they haven't died yet, they'll build an extension <laughs> and another... And So the next kids would live upstairs. Anyway, they were a lovely, lovely family. And the... Um, the mother was cooking with us, the grandmother, actually, I would say. And she also didn't have any recipes. And everything, everything was by feel. Everything was by touch. Everything was by saying. And, and she would say to us, yes, you can cut it like that. But it would be the wrong way to cut it. But you can do it that way. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, okay, so tell us how to do yeah. it. But everything's done with, like, a small paring knife. You know, yeah. nothing is, like, definitely no chef knife. No chopping boards. Everything by hand yeah. or in your hand. Yeah. And it was funny because you take a group of chefs and they're sitting there and they see a completely different way of producing food, thinking about food, tasting. And then she was making kibaniya with us. Have you ever had this? It's like a raw lamb with bulgur wheat. It's a very, very traditional dish. And every one of the chefs was quite dubious about eating this. because raw lamb. Yeah. Because first of all, we don't eat raw lamb here. It's not mm. really something no. that's ever done. And when you're kind of in a village, in a house, that I don't even know if there was a fridge in the house, to be honest. No. And they were all like, oh, really, are we going to eat this? <laughs> and they, were, they were all looking at me while they she was making stop. it. And it's like pounding, you pound the lamb, you pound, you know, it's a very long process of kneading it and making it. And they were all like, Ooh. and then she served us the first one. And, and I just saw this chef looking at me and I was like, <laughs> because you're not going to embarrass us <laughs> And he took it, he took a bite and he was like, oh my God. Oh and my then the guy started eating it and they just couldn't stop. Couldn't I think stop. they ate like... We couldn't stop. No, it was delicious. So delicious. delicious. But like everything that in your head and in health and hygiene rules and everything is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. It was amazing. It was so delicious. So when I started researching my book, I was looking at heritage Caribbean recipes and there's so many, because it's oral tradition, there's so many things you just couldn't find. Like, you know, there are things like, there's a thing called shasha dumpling, which is like a cornmeal dumpling that is made on the on the barbecue, on the fire, but you make it in sea grape leaves, which are a bit like fig leaves, because yeah. um, they're big and they're spread yeah. like that. And you put it in the sea grapes and you keep turning it and then it goes crispy yeah. and then you take it out of that and then you finish it off mm. on the thing. But it's such an old... It's so delicious. But it's such an old recipe. I couldn't find it anywhere. I had to go and find an old lady. It. But it was really interesting. And, you know, just like sort of thinking about that kind of... Um, oral history to like everything spe- it, that's the one thing is spelt like 15 different ways yeah. because it's not really ever been written down very very often you know what I mean and I, I feel like now that I need to make sure that I get as many of these things down that's why yeah, as, as possible to have it. Do, is it the same with your cultural Completely. kind of in Israel the diaspora is from everywhere mm. Like loads of Moroccan, Yemeni, Eastern Europeans, Egyptians. Yeah. No, but I do think that we're kind of like the generation with the grandmas still in one foot in another country. So right. my grandma was born in Egypt. My grandpa was born in Yemen. And your grandparents were still... Were they they're from England? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of like the step after. That's all the information that could be done. And I actually, a friend of ours in Israel does that. She, 
collects all of these recipes all the for a museum. Oh, yeah. just, oh, right, right. Yeah. An archive of food and, and traditions. and. But, but kind of like this generation has gone dead. Yeah. And now we have this material, what we remember, and we can mess around with it mm. and do some damage. Yeah, because, yeah, because then once you understand that and yeah. you get and you know those recipes and you know that heritage like properly mm. then you can start going oh maybe i'll do this with the tamarind or maybe mm. i'll do this yeah. with. i mean obviously aunties and grannies and i don't really yeah, they like don't appreciate do that, that. <laughs> no. they don't appreciate i put that. planted in fungi quite recently fungi is like our cornmeal dish okay. like a bit like polenta but we make it a bit stiffer and normally it has okra and onions running through. It's absolutely delicious. You have it with salt fish and stuff. Yeah. And I made a plant in coconut one. And it's really, really good. But literally... It did not go down well. Because old people looking at me like, mm, what have you done? <laughs> like, what have what you done? is your problem? I'm what like, I'm just having fun. Yeah. They're yeah. like, whatever. But I, I think that, that that generation holds on to those things like that. Yeah. Because they need to know who they are. Yeah. It's like it gives them their, their direct connection their direct route yeah. back to all the things that are important to them yeah. and all the things that they are terrified of losing and have always been terrified yeah. of losing in a way that our generations i mean i'm older than you guys but our generations probably are less we're a bit more blase we don't about need it. it so much but this is why i thought like when we started honey and co and then we started thinking about this like for me authenticity was so important like it had to be like the aunties it had to be like the aunties but now i'm just like fuck the aunties <laughs> It needs to be... It's too strong. Fuck the aunties. No, because I'm saying, you know, yes, it was really important for them because that was their identity. Yes. But for us, it's something else. It's about pleasure. It's about joy. It's about coming together. It's about reaching out from my aunties to, to, to yours. To my aunties, yes. yes. This is what matters now. Right. It's and not about if it means like eyes. three fingers of oil instead of one, then I know what I'm going. Like, And actually, when, when people be like, yeah, but this is not how we do it. You're exhausting me, man. I'm not interested anymore. Also, what I think is so it's, like, it's not how you do it. It's how I do it. Yeah. yeah. And every household is different anyway. So even if you had, like, the one thing, curry goat or whatever, every household's different, different because recipe, everybody's yeah. cooking a slightly different version of curry goat. And everybody had a nervous breakdown because I put chocolate in my curry goat. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah, when the aunties came really from. Good. They come really good. They come for you, though. <laughs> <laughs> in person. I had to talk to someone for 45 minutes. Oh. Oh, no. But why I put it? I said because it's good. Yeah, this is the uh, this is my final yeah. answer. This is kind of a conversation that annoys me about all the like. There's this whole thing about like publishing a recipe and people saying to you, "Oh, but that's not it, what it is." Like we, now we have spoken about this before, and I but I'm always really interested in this, and I just think you can't, we can't stop talking about it, and it changes really. Like the ideas of how excellence is measured in a kitchen in, in an industry. In like in 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 our industry in this country, there's Michelin, and then there's so-called casual dining, and then there's kind of fast food or slash street food or whatever. And you know, there's like one of the best noodle places I know is just these two boys in a little truck down on the uh, south yes. bank, and they make the best send noodles. They make the best absolute Up noodles. South bank. I just think that. Do you see the industry shifting at all away from those ideas of Michelin excellence and there being any other ways to look at it? I think the financial model is screwed. Mm. Like the, the Michelin restaurants, they don't have the financial model. And, you know, the, with labour costs, the, the, it, it doesn't happen. You know, if you think there are a few restaurants who sort of make it work, mm. but it's not long term, I don't think. And it's not, 
actually, it's not where the interesting stuff happens. And it's not where the delicious stuff happens. I think the delicious the stuff delicious stuff is in a different category, kind of like I think. So in the, the middle, middle and on the sides. It doesn't happen at the top. Mm. The top at where it goes to die. Or, and, you know, the Michelin top. And is the top resistant to that change? Um, I think it's an interesting thing. You know, it's actually an interesting conversation to have specifically with you. Because the show you host... Great British Menu, we watch avidly. We have for many, many years. But even for us, we came from the place of like admiring all the less like kind of fine dining thing to like saying, oh my God, they've got to like give space for more types of food. And we get quite angry when they're immediately like disqualifying a whole range of cooking that is kind of unfamiliar to them sometimes. Well, and that's that why, does happen a bit. No, that's why I think it's really good that we moved on in terms of the judging. Panel, yes. Because there's a much broader palette. You know, you've got Nisha who can like identify different types of cardamom at 200 paces. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, no, but also isn't scared of spice. And he's not and... scared of spice, but also knows spice and understands spice. And so does Ed because he eats out everywhere in the yeah. world. And he's just Mr. Greedy. He loves it. <laughs> and then Tom, who, rec- who, who, yeah. who represents another kind of end of the industry. But I think that in a way, that's kind of, that representation in that room, that's kind of how the representation or the thoughts about what, what means brilliance yeah. has to kind of shift. Yeah. Because it, it can't continue, I don't think, in the world to be just through one particular lens. And it's not about cancelling out a lens. I no, mean, you it's know, opening people come more, through that yeah. French route and do all that stuff i have every respect and admiration for them because that shit is hard but it's also okay at some stage it's to not accept the only thing that it's not the only thing no. and and again when i used to work in michelin star this was a long time ago but we would never taste the food it was too expensive for us to taste i never sat there of course i never tasted a dish of course i worked there for two and a half years <laughs> I never ate a full dish wow. of any of the things we had on the menu. So how are you supposed to do that? So yeah, I was a commie to a demi. I was quite low. It was my first job in the industry. But how are you supposed to make sure the food you're serving is delicious? Because there's a difference between eating a spoon of soup and eating a whole bowl of soup yeah. and understanding where your flavor ends at the end of that. So like if a, if a chef, all they're allowed to do is like taste a tiny bit of their sauce or eat the end of a mash or something, but never sit and eat the whole thing and think of the impact of eating mash that's like, 90% butter with a whole load of reduction sauce and a really rich piece of meat and they've never eaten all of that together then they don't know what they're serving and yeah. I think it's a whole industry that's built on not understanding food mm. plus they're all 20 to 25 year olds because after that you burn out in that kind of kitchen yeah. a mistake that I see quite a lot of young chefs making was I see them coming through the Great Mission Many Kitchen is they're so obsessed with getting this star that they forget about being delicious yeah. it's like it doesn't matter about the star just think about the food. Just think about. I mean, look the at St. John's. St. John's for years, delicious food doesn't look delicious it specifically. Doesn't necessarily... It doesn't necessarily look simple, delicious, delicious food with respect to ingredients. Going for years, doing it well for years. This is kind of the. So there's like a, but a isn't big it distance like the between. It's the... like the historic difference between like food as spectacle and as display and as about not about, you know, never was about taste. In, yeah. in You know, historically it was about kind of impressing people, whether it's your guests or whether yeah. it's, you know, you're the king chef and therefore I have the best chef and I'm the richest yes. person. 
person. And so there's a way in which that sort of food is still in a kind of state of perpetual performance mm. where mm. the actual pleasure and taste and exchange is sort of forgotten. Because, you know, to me, somebody coming to the table with that big giant pot and putting it in the middle and with that thunk when the pot hits That's the table, I'm just like, oh, my God, my toes are curling up. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to go. I'm, like, really, really happy. So there's different kinds of spectacle mm. and there's different kinds of perception of what yeah. constitutes beauty yeah. and yeah. what constitutes yes. something, you know, d- desirable and exciting and aspirational. But is it, the, is it yeah. when you do the pot on the table like that, that's a, like, that is about acknowledging all those people around the table and bringing mm. them all into that, whereas the kind of the kind of cloche being lifted from the, the plate is about the display of the chef. Yeah. It's not about the people at the table and, yeah. and the group. It's about, look at me, I'm the, I'm the, the person this, that created yeah. this. I want to ask you both one thing, actually, which is, what's the future like? Yeah. Look like for you? At the moment, it's full of change, which is going to be interesting. Because the pandemic really changed, like, everything. We thought we were on the way to stepping away from the business, handing it over to our exec team, and just kind of not really being involved. We thought we were going to focus on other things. And then the pandemic, and this was like 2019, and then we were going to try and like take a place in Greece for six months and see if we could like set up something there and, you know, and then the pandemic hit and everything just went like, and we ended up like 100% back in the business in terms of like everything and saw the difference that it makes in a strange way. It's quite hard to explain. When you're fully involved. Yes. Yeah, but for, for me... Again, it's too early to say, but I think it, it's the making of us, to be honest. And I think that we're just starting now. Yeah, in, That's a, way, my, in a way, it like, kind of refreshed either, either the whole, it's like... it's the end of us, or... <laughs> it's just the beginning. No, it yeah. may be the end but of us me, as well. I think we have to say this yeah. may be the end as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. We have, like a, no, we have a really big project on the go, can we say? I mean, we're, 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 we're hoping that it's not too... F- far in the future and it's like another location but it's it kind of stemmed from everything that's happened and it hopefully answers some needs that came up over the last few years and if it works well it would be amazing and will be the making of us or like we say we you know sign the bankruptcy note what do we say if your dreams aren't big enough if your dreams don't if your dreams don't scare you they're not big they're not big enough hmm. so it's well, like well they're shit scary <laughs> Every morning we're scared to leave the bed <laughs> that and means, wake up crying. That means so. you are exactly on track. Honestly, <laughs> so I Is your dream being just big enough to scare the shit out of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but Jesus, the Jesus. Guys, I have to say, this was beautiful. And actually, you guys are very beautiful together. Oh, so are you. You guys. Thank you so, so much. Are you. Back at you. It's thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Honestly, it really is lovely of you to give us your time because mm. I know how busy you are. So I'm really happy to have you in our home too. Now you know where we live, so you can come back. That's really dangerous for you. <laughs> yeah. You are like, honestly, you're three months away from a restraining order <laughs> against <laughs> us. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I want to be like. That was so nice. I mean, interesting having a third person there, but I really yeah. liked it. 
Itamar and Sarah brought us <gasps> loads of honey and clothes. Smoked almonds. Well, I'll take this. This, no, you won't. Because I really eat almonds. Yeah, this is chocolate and hazelnut babka. Oh, my God. Don't touch it. Get away. Get away from the Move, babka. child, move. And then Polly bought us this beautiful book, Unfinished Business, The Fight for Women's Rights, edited by Polly Russell and Margareta Jolly from the British Library. Somewhat comforting to know that people like Polly are at places like that at yeah. the British Library. Yeah, and also doing more than lip service, doing actual real work. Yeah, because there's some problematic history in our museums and libraries, yeah. OK? So to have the right people there feels exciting. A lot of women in these positions, in these institutions, were genuinely changing things. And I feel like that was a, 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 a table full of guests who are changing things. You've got Itamar and Sarit doing this incredible food, yeah. working in the way that they do. You've got Polly at the British Library, really at the vanguard of pushing things forward, pushing change. And I think that we do it too, Mickey. So I'm oh. going to big ourselves up in this conversation. We are also two people who are pushing for change and making change happen. And it's the only way that this stuff is ever going to shift is if we push and push hard. And I feel like today and that lunch was a celebration of that. Another triumph in the please tell us who you'd like to bring to yep. to lunch today. And yep. people just seem to be bringing people they really love. They really love who they have really deep connections with. Mm. And this is what's always happened in our life, right? So now I'm like, oh, Polly. Yeah, she's I'm going to hang out with Polly as Polly, well. Yeah, Polly. Because Itamar and Sarah, like if I'm at an industry thing, I'm like, oh, great. Itamar and Sarah here, cool. Yeah. I've got people I can talk to. It's going to be great. And then now Polly, I just feel like is a new person in our horizon. I can't wait to see what they're about to do next. I'm really intrigued. I was this close, this close. She sort of looked at me with, and I sort of looked at her like, this is, this is, this is a safe space. And then she went, nah. You know, it's just a new project. I was like, yeah, well, she's not telling us shit. But we can't wait. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 